Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Good evening, seven o'clock. It is Facebook Live with me, Jonathan Stiano, and I uh, am very excited to be here and uh, very glad to be here. And I've got uh, a few questions lined up. And if anyone has got any questions live, you can ask me and I'll do my best to answer them. So please do feel free to comment and share because uh, that will be a good thing to do and uh, that that'll be very uh, interested to hear your comments and share share with you uh, yeah well hear your comments and watch you watch your shares um right okay so we've got any questions you're saying um, I hear you say. Yeah, we have actually. Thank you very much. We have got some questions. Thank you. Oh, Roxana's here. Hello. Nice to see you. Uh, so I'm just going to crack on and uh, feel free to, 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 uh, to, it's better when I do that, isn't it? Feel free to butt, uh, butt in if you have any questions. Um, can I use sunbeds after surgery and how can I protect my scars? Bit of a theme here. Seems that we try to make lots of questions out of one question, but that's okay with me because it looks like we've got more questions. Um, so can I use sunbeds after surgery and how can I protect my scars? Okay, so the thing about whenever someone comes to the clinic and talks about sunbeds, um, you know, sunbeds aren't good for you. So it's a bit like when people are smoking, you know, <coughs> excuse me, there's specific things about um, uh, smoking and it's not good in general but we have specific advice in terms of surgery with with you know stopping smoking and it's the same with sunbeds you know the general advice is sunbeds are not good for you um that's the general advice but then specifically you know and everyone says yeah i know but i you know whatever i'm okay i want to do i want to do them so then you want specific advice about surgery so the overriding thing is sunbeds are bad for you they are basically the same as sun bathing which is burning the skin which is basically what tanning does it's it's tanning it's it's burning the skin but um so that isn't good for your skin and it isn't good for the elasticity of the skin and it means you're more likely to have wrinkles and you're more likely to sag your skin's more likely to sag in the future so some beds are not good exhibit a but they are particularly bad in terms of surgery which is what this question is talking about because if you get uh, well some beds are the same as sun tan if you get a sun tan on a scar while it is red and active, you will end up with a pigmented scar. You'll end up with a brown scar. So what happens if you have a scar, when you have surgery, you have a scar, and the scar is always a little bit red to start off with. And I normally say it takes three to six months. It starts to fade about three months, you know, two or three months it starts to fade. It can take six, 12, 18 months to fade. It can take a long time for it to fade. Um, so I normally say the first three to six months is red, but it can be longer. While the scar is red, that means the scar is active. And while the scar is active, if you get a tan, you'll get a tan on your body and that'll be fine. But then when you come home and you lose the tan, the scar will stay tanned. You'll end up with a pigmented scar. So you mustn't get a tan on a red scar. So can I use sunbeds after surgery? Well, if you, if you must, you can. But if you've got a scar, which you presumably have because you've had surgery, you mustn't get a tan on the scar. So here we go. How can I protect my scars? So some beds you're probably best to protect it by wearing clothes or sometimes people wear a plaster over it um, over the scar it does mean you get a funny shape uh, tan if you're going abroad or if you live in somewhere that's hot or if you're in it's summertime in the uk say and you've got a scar on your face things like a wide brim hat high protection sun block what you're trying to think of is you're trying not to get a tan on that bit of skin <clears throat> So just try and think of ways that you can avoid getting a tan on that bit of skin and that should protect your scar. So uh, 
that leads me to the next question. Khan is here. Nice to see you, Khan, and thank you for your questions. Um, so that needs me to my next one, which is a similar sort of thing. Is swimwear enough protection whilst on holiday? I think this is sort of linked to that first one. Um, so yes, swimwear. So obviously, when you're wearing swimwear, when you're wearing clothes, you don't get a tan on that bit of skin. So you have what that's your white bits. So uh, if you have a say a breast um, a breast scar from a breast augmentation. Uh, that's usually hidden in a in a swim uh, in a bikini tummy tuck. You'd have to you probably have to get the right bikini to hide a tummy tuck scar. Uh, obviously, a swimsuit would hide it. But uh, but yeah, if you've got a swimsuit on, your skin underneath your swimsuit isn't going to get tanned. So that is fine. You don't have to think of, you don't have to protect it more than that. Uh, that is fine. It's really you just trying to avoid getting a tan on the scar. Um, and so swimwear is fine, but if it's on your face or an exposed area, high protection sunblock, wide brim hats, repeatedly putting the sun sunblock on. So that means high protection means SPS 50 plus, uh, and then reapplying it if you're going in the water and things like that. Um, those, the sort of those are sort of advice in terms of sun protection. Uh, Laura's got a question here. Uh, Laura says, hello, can I ask how dangerous are Nagorian Pleo implants? Uh, Oh, I watched your previous video saying about breast implant illness. Yeah. Um, dangerous, Laura. Sounds a bit extreme. Um, there's just been a paper. This breast implant illness is a is a difficult one for us as doctors to advise patients on. There's just been a paper on, that I just uh, uh, been released by PRS, but Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, which is a big American journal where they've looked at breast implant illness. Um, and basically there's no evidence for a link between breast implants and um and people getting ill which is breast implant illness and breast implant illness is not linked with any particular make of implant it's just um it's it's, it's it, people think it's a silicone um there, there are saline implants but they've got even those have got silicone shells but it's not any particular make that's linked with breast implant illness so breast implant illness is we it's hard to know how to advise people about that because to be honest it's not common when you go on the internet and when you go on panorama and things you think it is common because they'll find lots of people who, who say they've got it but in the scheme of people who've got breast implants in it's very uncommon but nevertheless, it's, that's not to say there aren't people out there who say that they have been ill with implants, but there's nothing particularly uh, singly out Nagor implants. I think what you're talking about with in terms of your Nagor implants, Laura, is probably ALCL, which is a slightly different thing. Um, so I think that uh, panorama was talking about two things. It was talking about breast implant illness, but it was also talking about ALCL. Now, ALCL is a, is a lymphoma. It's a type of cancer associated with the capsule of the implants. And that is associated with textured silicone implants um, or, or textured implants, textured is silicone and also polyurethane. Um, so that is, so that, that's, so Nagor Implayo implants are textured silicone implants. Um, and so that is something that is associated with it. So there is a link with that. That is a, there, there is, we do um, believe, we don't know exactly why it's caused, but we think it's something to do with the texturing of the, uh, implant and um, again it's a very rare thing that's the, the, the it's good that people are aware and we need to be making people aware and we have been making people aware ever since we knew about ALCL but it's such a rare problem you don't want to over egg it that may make people think that breast implants are dangerous it's a bit sort of uh, I think it's a bit much to say how dangerous are breast implants because i've got to say there are other complications i don't want to sort of go down in a bad way but there are other complications you can get with breast implants uh infection we've always known about this if you get infection you have to remove the implant um uh a capsular contracture the implant going hard uh generally it's a general anesthetic so there are complications with this so there are always risks with any surgery and there are risks with having implants alcl is another risk to take into account but it's a very very small risk um, and there was, I wrote a blog post about it where they looked at a, <clears throat> your risk of dying from having textured implants is about half your risk of dying if you went to New York for two days. So you'd think nothing of going to New York for two days, but, um, great. Um, but 
you know, you would you accept there is a risk of dying if you go to New York for two days or if you go skiing for a week or if you drive, I can't remember what it was, 600 miles in a car, I think. All of those things have got twice the risk of dying than having textured breast implants for life. So there's risks with everything we do and there are certainly risks with having implants. I wouldn't go so far as to say neg or implant implants are dangerous, um, but they are textured. So uh, sometimes people say, I want smooth implants, which is fine. You can have smooth implants which have got a lower risk of ALCL. They used to say there was no cases with smooth implants. I think there are some coming out now, but nevertheless, there's a le less risk of ALCL with smooth implants, but they come with their own problems. Higher rate of capsular contracture, more risk of movement. You can't get a teardrop implant with a smooth implant. So it's a balance. It's a balance. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're, they're, um, they're dangerous and um, the main thing I think for you, Laura, is that, or for anyone else there thinking of having breast implants, you've got to be aware of all the risks. You've got to be realistic about the risks and have them in context. It'd be wrong to think these things are dangerous because that, that might um, mean you wouldn't have surgery, which could have improved your quality of life. But you have to be aware of the risks so you can balance those risks against the benefits. It's what it's all about. It's what everything we do is when we go to New York for two days, we're balancing the risks against the benefits. It's when we go skiing for a week. We're balancing the risks against the benefits. So if the benefits outweigh the risks, do it. If they don't, don't do it. So it's same with breast implants. What are the benefits of having breast implants? And that's only you can decide. So if you, once you know all the risks and put them into context, then you can think, right, what are the benefits to me? You know what? I'm not that bothered about having implants and these things sound bad. Well, then don't have them. Or I think I'll benefit greatly from them, having them and the risks don't sound as bad as I thought. So then you might want to have it. It's like anything. It's when you go to New York for two days or you go drive a car or you um, go skiing, you have to pay, benefit the risks versus the benefits. Um, so good look, we've got some cool, got some questions now. Uh, Roseanne Stevenson, what's the best scar reducing cream? Three weeks post tummy tuck op. Um, Roseanne, three weeks post, number one, stick with your surgeon, talk to your surgeon, go with your surgeon with in terms of scar management. Um, in my view, three weeks is quite early, Roseanne, and I imagine that scar is going to be a little bit red, a little bit fragile, and I wouldn't start doing anything personally at this stage. Um, I don't really do anything for the first six weeks personally, and, you know, other people might do it at different times, but um, around six weeks is when I get people involved in the scar um, reduction, and the scar is often worse at six weeks so you often see it at one week and think oh it's a good scar and it's six weeks so it gets progressively worse because it gets progressively thicker it gets sort of as it as it knits together and it gets stronger it gets a bit thicker feels a bit firmer gets a bit more red Ooh, gets a bit more angry so personally around six weeks i start doing stuff to scars and um first thing to say is the best thing for scars is time whatever you do in time scars get better so that's exhibit A. Exhibit B, uh, the other things that I like are massage and moisturize. So it's a moisturizer. So if you use a moisturizer, then you can use any moisturizer. If you use anything on your um, hands or on your body, um, but massage, give it a bit of pressure. Get a bit, again, this is why you have to wait till six weeks because it might be a bit fragile at three. But six weeks, give it a bit of pressure. Blanch the scar, you know, make it go white. Give it a bit of pressure, soften up, especially around your belly button. If you've got a full tummy tuck, you've got to think about it. Better about it. Get your finger in there, give it a bit of ooh, because you don't want it to constrict down. You don't want it to, you know, yeah, that's one of the risks of the belly button scar. It can constrict down. So massage and moisturize that. It doesn't matter what you use. Sometimes people say uh, bio oil, vitamin E, aloe vera, Nivea aqueous cream whatever you know it doesn't really matter um there are some creams and gels which are good for scars and we do we sell them on our website and these are things like silicone now silicone is really good for scars that are a problem lumpy scars um red lumpy scars problem scars most normal scars don't absolutely need silicone there's no harm in having silicone on a normal scar but it is quite expensive silicone um and the real evidence for silicone is around sort of ugly lumpy hypertrophic keloid scars these sorts of things then silicone really um comes into its own so uh, by all means you can think about having silicone but but in my view time and massage and moisturize is the main things um and if you have a cream that you like or a moisturizer that you like then i would go with that one 
uh janet marie hi hi janet marie oh janet marie double double comment nice uh what is the difference between mini tummy tuck and full or is that obvious i'm guessing mini to be if there's not too much skin is there much cost difference no that's not that obvious actually janet marie um they are two very uh, or quite specific things and the main difference between a mini and a full tummy tuck uh, certainly from the outside is the pattern of scarring so a full tummy tuck has got a scar that goes from hip to hip whereas a mini tummy tuck has got a smaller scar the smaller scar i don't know if you've got a cesarean section or if you know what a cesarean section scar is but it's similar to a cesarean section scar a mini tummy tuck is a bit longer than a cesarean section scar actually so it's a little bit longer than a cesarean section scar but it's nowhere near as long as a full full goes all the way from hip to hip the other thing is a full tummy tuck you get a scar around the belly button so that's quite a big difference between the two you don't get a scar around the belly button with a mini tummy tuck on paper a mini tummy tuck looks really good because you think hold on a minute smaller scar no scar around the belly button so no scar on the front cheaper um you know quicker recovery and all those sorts of things but it's like any of these mini mini operations like mini facelift and um are there any other mini operations maybe that's it maybe those are the only two but if there were other mini operations it'd be like those um i think there is any mini Anyway, well, there's less scars with mastopexy, but they're not mini, mini mastopexy. Anyway, well, bottom line is the mini, the less scar, the less skin that can be reduced, uh, re removed, so the less of a result. So basically, um, how do the DJs do it? And they didn't hold it there, did they? Something around my neck so I can have it there. Um, basically, a mini tummy tuck, um, why was I putting it down? Um, a mini tummy tuck is really good for the bit of um, fullness that's just above your pubic bone. If you have got a cesarean scar, just above your cesarean scar. Between your cesarean scar or your pubic bone, which is sort of top of your pubic hair, and your belly button, that's where a mini tummy tuck really, if you've got a bulge there, a little bulge just above your, you know, above your, your scar or above your pubic hair and then your belly button, it can get rid of that bulge. And that's what a mini tummy tuck does. It gets rid of that uh, sort of some of the skin in that area and it, and it tightens that skin now it does pull the belly button down a little bit so your belly button afterwards looks a bit pulled down it's a bit like that but um in time it does sort of settle um but it that, that's what it does it just takes that bit of skin out a wedge of that skin out and tightens that bit of skin a full tummy tuck takes all of the skin from the pubic area from the cesarean scar let's say to freeze uh, to the belly button so it takes all of that skin out the whole lot and then the whole lot the whole lot gets pulled down the belly button gets cut out and then belly button pops out in another bit higher up it takes a lot more skin out uh, of full tummy tuck um and uh and it takes it, it contours the whole abdomen all the way across the abdomen so if you've got a bit of fullness on the sides uh then a full tummy tuck will contour that and really importantly the other big deal about a full tummy tuck is it pulls the skin above the belly button down so all the skin goes from the belly button up to your rib cage gets pulled down so it helps to contour that bit of skin above your belly button a mini tummy tuck doesn't do anything to that skin above the belly button because the belly button's in the way it's sort of anchoring it so you can't get a pull north of the belly button if that makes sense so a full tummy tuck will contour the whole of the abdomen including the abdomen above the belly button the other important difference is the rectus abdominis muscles. Your six-pack muscles are often a little bit apart. It's called divarification of your recti when you've had children or when you've had uh, significant weight loss. So the thing that has caused you to need a tummy tuck also often stretches the abdominal wall. And at the time of a tummy tuck, we can bring those rectus abdominis muscles together. But we can't get above the belly button when we do a mini tummy tuck. So you can't bring those muscles together when you do a mini tummy tuck. I say can't. You, it's very hard to you have to do things like floating the belly button and it's, it's very hard to so let's just say for the ease of use it's you can't do it it's very hard to, to, to bring the muscles together with a mini tummy tuck so a mini tummy tuck really just addresses that skin above the, the cesarean section scar a full tummy tuck does contour the whole abdomen uh, as well as bringing the muscles together and the thing is there isn't a huge amount of cost difference i don't know exactly what it is but i think oh i don't know what the prices are um but I think a mini tummy tuck is probably like four or five thousand pounds, and a full tummy tuck is probably six thousand pounds odd. It's about a thousand pounds more or fifteen hundred pounds more. I'm not I'm not sure exactly on the prices, but I mean a mini tummy tuck. The point is a mini tummy tuck is still really quite expensive. So for me, I'm always a bit, you know, the, the candidates for mini tummy tucks are quite limited. 
they have to be just having that bit of fullness there because what I don't want to do is charge someone, you know, quite a lot of money, £5,000, and then them not get a great result. And think, what about this bit above the belly button? What about this bit on the sides? You know, so you have to be aware of what's achievable in informed consent. Um, so many times like on paper sounds good, but uh, it is less of a result. Um, and so it is, to be honest with you, it is quite a niche to the people who are candidates for a mini tummy tuck. Full tummy tuck is much more common. Laura says, yes, sorry, that is it. Laura says, that is it. Okay. Um, Gina, Gina White. Hello, what is your advice to people with Erlus-Danlus syndrome who are thinking of having a mastopexy? So, um, Erlus-Danlus syndrome. Uh, <laughs> could you drop that on me there, Gina? Um, I haven't got time to Google it. So Erlos-Danlos syndrome is skin elasticity for the viewers who don't know what that is. Um, so you get like, you can you know, get your neck and pull it over. Skin skin, skin um, elasticity. And um, it is a problem in, well, there's two problems uh, with Erlos, operating on patients with Erlos-Danlos syndrome. Uh, number one problem is there is a risk of delayed wound healing. Um, so the wounds might not heal up as well as we like, which is a problem with mastopexy because wound healing is, is quite a lot of wounds and we want them to heal. But the other problem is we're tightening the skin with a mastopexy. We want the skin to be as tight as possible. And if the skin's hyperelastic, if the skin's very stretchy, it can be hard to tighten it. Uh, and so it might stretch again. So that's a risk. Um, I've got to say, Gina, I'm not an expert in operating and doing mastopexies on people with Erlos-Danlos syndrome. Um, but I think it's something that, I would probably, or I would suggest that you probably get your surgeon to talk to the person who's treating your elastanlos, if there is anyone who's treating it, um, to get advice on that, uh, because it's um, it, it would have to be in the mix of the pros and cons, like I was saying about the implants, pros and cons. You've got to put it in the mix, and um, you may have problems, you may have wound healing problems, and you may have um uh, a recurrence of your of the droop and so which which anyone can get a recurrence of the droop to be honest with you but if you've got um, a skinny elasticity problem it might be more of a risk so yes i would be aware of that laura thank you i have 620 cc in and is making me worry now with the rare cancer you know what laura um it is a worry and i think we have got to be careful and i think the media have got to be careful not to uh worry people unnecessarily and not to make them go through surgery unnecessarily because surgery has risks everything has risks and i would say to you talk to your doctor be aware of the proper risks that you're facing by leaving them in versus the risk of taking them out because there are risks of taking them out because you need another anesthetic the evidence or the advice from the plastic surgery associations is not to remove them not to remove them um, Emma, yeah, there's dinner there if you want some. I've made dinner. Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, it's my daughter. Sorry. Uh, all right, it's probably live TV. Um, so you have to be aware of the uh, of the risks of keeping them in and the risk of removing them. So the Plastic Surgery Associations, um, no plastic surgery in the world has suggested that they should be removed. Ooh, you see that? The breast implants should be removed. So you shouldn't, um, so, you know, with the doctors won't advise you to remove them. Uh, ALCL, and the, it, it is a worry because it's got the word cancer there. It is curable. Uh, it's, it's got about a 94, 96% cure rate by removing the capsule. So it is curable. And it usually presents about eight years after having the implants in by a lump or a swelling uh, in the breast. And it's usually pro um, uh, brought up or um, uh, usually diagnosed basically by the patient. So the patient usually notices a swelling or a lump. So just be aware if you have any swellings or lumps, get them checked out and um, be aware of the risks because the risks are very, very small, um, but still you have to be aware of them. Emma, my scare tissue, you got scare tissue 
is so hard. I'm massaging it all the time with oils. Is there anything else I can do to soften it? Emma, have you, are you the three weeks? I know it's Roseanne was the three weeks. So Emma, the first question, question one, oh, Roseanne says thank you above as well. Sorry, I've only got a limited view of the comments. Um, Emma, my scare tissue is so hard, I'm massaging it all the time with oils. Is there anything else I can do to soften it? So the first question, Emma, is how old is your scar? So if it's in the first year, I would say, don't worry, go with time. Um, we've got a really good thing. <laughs> can, I, can I do a plug on here? God, that would be good. Um, we've got a really good thing on our web on our website, which is like um, a... Um, it's a... Um, it's like a, a, a got ball bearings. It's like a thing that you can... It's, it's silicone, but it's also got ball bearings. Um, that will massage the scar as well as giving the silicone. So that's that's a good thing. But you could also do that with your hand, I guess. But um, for a photo of it, got to ever put a photo on Facebook of it? It doesn't look like it. Anyway, so massage is good. Um, it's called a, I think it's called dual action scar gel. Uh, Sarah, Sarah's not getting photos of a dual action scar gel on the. On the old Facebook, is it one? So, um, but massaging is good. If they're really, uh, if it's really red and really firm, there are things that you can do or one can do uh, to soften the scar. Things like um, steroid injections, which is a, probably a bit extreme, uh, but, you know, hard to say without seeing it. But, um there are there are potentially things that can be done for uh, for scars that are real real really problematic. Um, for a photo, you know what? I could have got the photo up while I'm doing this. Oh well. I hope you can't hear my daughter in the background with the with the um. Okay, I'm going to stop that. But anyway, um, yeah, so if the scarring is very bad, you can do things like silicone. Um, uh, sorry, you can do things like steroid injections, but I do that only with your doctor because steroid can delay wound healing. So you wouldn't want to do it until the scar is properly mature, at least a year or so. But for me, it's mainly massage and time. Uh, if, it's, uh, if it's over a year, then maybe you want to think about other things. Um, so, Emma, are implants meant meant to fall into your armpits when you lay down like a normal breast would I'm over muscle good question Emma good question and um, you get both you get some people who are worried they're gonna be like that and they're not gonna move and you're like no 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 they do move they still do move like normal breasts move it's not like they don't they're not stuck there they don't move as much as normal breasts but they do move and you get other people who say oh i'm lying down and they're going into my armpits and i don't like that i don't want them to move so you're like it's somewhere in between the two they don't move as well as normal breasts the other thing you've got to remember is when you have implants for cosmetic breast enlargement you have implants and a breast so you still got your normal breast you still get normal tissue on top of the breast so the normal tissue will move just like the, like it would before so yes they will still move down into your armpit when you lie down flat but they won't move as much because the breast, the implant doesn't move as much as your natural breast. So it's a little bit in between. People who want them to um, uh, to stay, people who want, don't want them to move are, are disappointed because they do move a bit. But um, people who want them to act naturally might find they don't act quite as naturally as a normal breast. But they do still move. They don't. They're not stuck on the front, so you don't lie flat and they sort of stay there. That would look a bit weird. So they do move with your natural breast. Um, and yeah, over the muscle will probably move more, but they both they both move. Oh, sorry, that's very awkward. Um, they both do move. Yep, they do move. So, um, and, and again, it depends on how much breast tissue you got to normal, uh, breast tissue to, to breast, breast tissue to implant. So as a surgeon, we're always trying to maximize the, amount of breast tissue you've got versus the implants. The ideal situation is a big breast, small implant, but that doesn't exist very often. But if you've got small breast, big implant, it's going to move less because it's going to be mostly implant there and not much breast. 
whereas the more breast tissue you've got, the more it's going to move. Um, uh, Emma Gardner. Hi, Jonathan. I saw you earlier today at the clinic. Oh, was that you? Okay. Nice <laughs> to see you in um, person and in, in your uh, online way. When I, for everyone watching this chat, I cannot recommend this clinic. <laughs> Emma, they're going to make me think I paid you to do that. Thank you, Emma. That's very kind. Yeah, nice to see you earlier. And I hope your mother's hand is getting better. Um, Cat Carill. Oh, it's a big one. Let's get over the top. Hi, I've just joined. I see the cancer topic has already been discussed, but I missed it. I had Nagor to replace my pips. Then I got capsular contracture, so had them done again. And why these have these I have now are causing problems. You did my op to replace pips and then the CC op. Please, can you assist? I'm feeling so stressed with it all. Really wish I'd never had any to begin with. Oh, blimey. Cat, um, yes, come and see me. I'd be very happy to assist and I'd be very happy to see you. And the main so there's two things here first of all there's the worry of cancer but also you're saying did you say i'm worried these i have now are causing problems so they're causing problems that's the first thing i say is what problems are they causing so if they're causing problems it might be that that's something we need to look at um yes it was a few years ago wasn't it, it was a joint witch wasn't it yeah um the cancer thing we can talk about in the clinic but it is uh, a very rare thing cat and i and as i said earlier there there's no evidence to suggest we should be removing implants and in fact if you remove implants you're putting patients at risk because you're giving them another anesthetic so uh, there are risks associated with removing them there is associated risks associated with leaving them uh, the risk of the cancer is very small um, and it's curable so your chance of dying from the cancer is very very small and there are things that you do in normal life which will give you a greater risk of dying um, and there's a big list uh, there was a paper published uh, a little while ago with a big list of things which gave you more of a risk of dying compared to having textured implants for life and um, drinking half a glass of red wine a day or a week or something i can't remember what it was now but all things we normally do the, the ones i remember are two days in new york and going skiing for a week and driving in a car for 600 miles all of those things double your risk of dying compared to having silicone breast implants for life and let you yet you probably wouldn't be stressed if you had a holiday to go to new york for two days next week you probably wouldn't be worried about dying and yet your risk of dying would be twice the risk that you have of dying from having silicone breast implants so i wouldn't be too stressed about it but the important thing i would say is come to the clinic We'll go over it, we'll chat about it, and we'll do what needs to be done. But, um, and particularly, I'd like to see what your problems you're getting, because that's something you might need to look at. But if you want to talk about the um, ALCL thing, I'm very happy to talk about that and to try and put things in perspective for you so that you can make a balanced decision on to what you should do, what the right thing to do is. Because at the end of the day, it's your body, and you have to do the right thing for yourself. And all I can do, or we can do as doctors, is give you advice about what we know and what's the risks are so you can balance the risks versus the benefits so uh cat come and see us um i don't know we'll, should we give you a ring we'll give you a ring and um get you back to the clinic janet marie makes sense now you've explained it can't remember what that was now what was that oh mini and a full tummy tuck come here okay um oh god what's going on i lost my place gina thank you for the advice very welcome gina emma lols lol scar Emma, six months. Six months is too soon. Is that the scar that's red? I've sent you a picture previously. Have you ever? What did I say? Um, yeah, the scar is hard. Oh, Emma, are you? did you have the breakdown? Did you have the wound breakdown? Anyway, um, six months is soon, Emma. I wouldn't worry if it's really hard. I would just give it time and continue massaging and be positive. Emma, oh, there's too many Emmas. Emma P., that was MRM, the last one. MRP, I had a lot of breast tissue and had a 500cc. So if you had a lot of breast tissue, then they are more likely to move into your armpits, MRP. Um, because that, that is your breast tissue, which is obviously still there. Gillian McFetridge in the house. When is the right time to stop dressing your wound? I'm four weeks, should still cover it. Almost no scabs. Well, Gillian, you should talk to your surgeon. Always speak to your surgeon. 
uh, about that. For me, if you've got a dressing on, when you take the dressing off, if you look at the dressing and it's not got anything on it, I would stop using the dressing because the dressings are sticky. You get the adhesive can cause irritation, can cause problems. Um, I like to get air to it personally, but you know, it's all I don't want to say about someone else's um, patient. But um, yeah, if if it's if it's I mean even scabs you can leave you as in you don't need to put a dressing off. It's if it's a scab, if it's a dry scab, the main thing for dressings. Um, for small wound problems is to protect your clothes really um, because if you have a don't put a dressing on it especially if it's weeping your clothes will stick to it you get fibers on the on your bra or on your on your um, underwear or whatever and it doesn't it's not very nice so dressing just keeps it clean so uh, if the wound's dry then you may not need one but it, you know talk to your surgeon about that really I shouldn't really need my disclaimer Just my opinion, Gillian, just my opinion. So, um, Kat, yes, Droitwich, it's just playing on my mind. Given the first set of nagles, Kat, if it's playing on your mind, come to the clinic and we'll have a chat. This is the thing. That's the whole point of coming to the clinic because you worry about things and you look things in the media and they say, oh, my God, these are terrible. And look at this person who's really come to harm from this and that. You get worried about it. Um, but come to the clinic, we'll have a proper chat about it. It's been a while since I've seen you. The first set of nagles, my body didn't like CC. It's not, yeah, I mean, capsule can transfer is something that can happen. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened, Kat. Um, so you had PIPs, you changed for nagel. What did you have them changed again then? Um, you get capsule contracture early. Capsule contracture happens quicker for every operation that you have. So the more operations you have, the more scar tissue you create. So to be honest with you, you've got to try and avoid you know to try and minimize your scar um, minimize your uh, operations because uh, when you have implants in if you get a capsule contracture if you change the implants the new implants another capsule contracture comes quicker second time round so you leave them as long as you can as a rule but if you're worried let's let's uh, let's wrap about it come to the clinic and we'll have a chat Gillian great thank you great Gillian great to have you on board um, I think it sounds like you're doing all right. If you haven't got any scabs, then it's, it sounds like you're doing all right. So back to my questions here. I've got a question here. Um, should I trust my surgeon if they have a few bad reviews? If researching a surgeon and you see quite a few bad reviews, would you think it's okay to go ahead and book as surely all surgeons will have quite a few unhappy clients? And by botching, we aren't talking needing revision. We are talking talking months of constant a and e care <sighs> dear oh dear it's a tricky one this one um well uh it, to be honest with you as a surgeon it is something we or i say we i'll use the royal we i worry about i worry about a lot because we are at the mercy to be honest with you in this day and age of the of the public and um it's there are certain places places like google and um real self and certain places will verify the review so they'll make sure that the person has had surgery or well actually google won't real self will but google you have to log in with a google account but the, the point is that anyone could really put review on a bad review about someone you don't like you know fake news all this stuff here in america about fake news people can put stuff on and um as surgeons we you know i talk to other doctors about private practice and things and one of the things we're all worried about is people putting in bad reviews um and obviously there's two groups of people one will be people who had a bad experience but the other is a worry that people have put a bad review in you know, maybe they haven't had a bad experience or maybe they've had a bad experience in something that's nothing related to the doctor. Like, have you seen those ones on Amazon where they're reviewing like a calculator or something and they give it a one-star review and they say, the the uh, delivery man left it in the porch, you know, and it, and it was broken. Or, you know, the delivery man knocked on my next door neighbor's door and I told them not to. I told them to leave it, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the, flower pot outside or something like that you think that's not right for a one round that's not a one star review for the calculator you're supposed to be reviewing the calculator just because the delivery man did something so there's always a risk that something can happen and then you'll get a bad review and you think well, I, no 
know that that happened and it was something yeah so to be honest with you i uh, i'm quite all of my screens have gone on i'm lucky that that uh you know but it, I, you worry in terms of bad i haven't got any bad reviews but you know it does it is something i worry about personally but what i would say and what i say to other doctors if they're getting a lot of bad reviews then maybe they shouldn't be um you know maybe it's right that they're getting a lot of bad reviews maybe they aren't looking after people properly um so i think a few i think you've all you've got to do look at it in context um and if i think everyone's a, a, a potential of getting a bad review um but i would look at it in context look at see if the doctor has responded to that review i mean you just basically one of the problems is the bigger you get the more problems you're potentially going to get look at apples lots of people hate apple uh, look at ed sheeran took his twitter account off after glastonbury because people hated him you know the bigger you get the more if he, if he was just a small singer you know normal singer he wouldn't have got people hating him he wouldn't get people writing on the internet how 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 much they hate him you know and, and that is the risk the bigger you get the more you are going to potentially expose yourself to this so what you've got to do or what i would say to that you know we have got to do as doctors is make sure that we treat people as well as we possibly can and hopefully get as many good reviews as we can so if we did get a bad review it can be taken in context of our good reviews so i think um it is a worry i think anyone can get a bad review and sometimes i see bad reviews on people who i know are good surgeons um now they've obviously not been a good surgeon to that person but as i say whether it was purely the surgery or whether it was something else i don't know um but i think take it in context um if you've met certainly if you've met the surgeon if you feel that they're they're uh, looking after you and if you've they've um you know got other good reviews i don't think one bad review is is be all and end all but this is saying they've got quite a few on unha- uh, sorry we aren't by botching we aren't talking needing revision we're talking months of constant a e care oh that sounds a bit so if someone's getting a lot of bad reviews i think and I say this to other doctors when I talk about them about developing their practice. Maybe it's right that they should be giving, you know, that that should be out there. Maybe they should reflect on their practice and try and think about looking after people better. And you know, so take it in context. Talk to the doctor. See what the review says. See what they um, see. What they. to it so yeah that's a tricky one but yeah i think i think you've got to listen to the reviews you know i think i i can't say you can't you, you haven't because i do when i go on argos you know i look at the reviews on the argos even in the amazon all that i look at the reviews we all do don't we you don't look at the product description you look at the reviews they're really important so um yeah um all right what have i missed going on down here um roseanne should i be worried that my belly button has started weeping after tummy tuck even though healed and no scabs um i wouldn't say worried roseanne i think the problem with the belly button the belly button is one of those areas which has got prone to wound breakdown and weeping and things like that so i wouldn't be worried and if it's clean if it's not red and inflamed and if it's just sort of clear fluid i wouldn't be worried about it i don't think it sounds particularly normal although it can happen roseanne do we know how far post-op you are um but I think it's definitely something I would be ringing the nurse or ringing the clinic, the doctor, and saying, look, you know, my belly button started weeping. It's all looking fine, but it's, you know, and I'd probably, if, you know, I'd probably say, oh, let, let's have a look at it and just have a check on it and check it's okay. You know, you're probably going to need some dressings anyway if it's weeping. Um, but I wouldn't be worried. The belly button is one of those areas which can take a little bit longer to heal. There might be a little bit that's not quite healed that perhaps you can't see, you know, because it might be sort of trying to try and hide the scar inside the belly button. But that does mean that sometimes it doesn't heal as quickly as we would like. Emma, do you do dermo procedures? My partner has a lot of moles. Some have started to change over the last few years, but he has also has a lump near the spine that's been getting bigger between a 5p and a 10p size and just found another lump, but it's just under the skin. Woof, Emma. Yes, we do do dermo procedures, Emma. We do moles, we do lumps under the skin. In the sp- That's probably cysts, is it? Or lipomas, maybe? But yeah, definitely we do, Emma. Be very happy to see your partner bring them along and we will uh, we do free consultations for that sort of thing 
and um, we've got a few surgeons who do that a lot of that sort of work so yeah that would be very happy to see your partner emma drop us a line and we'll be very happy to see you roseanne says minimal weeping hold on a minute oh yeah but that's the belly button yeah okay but still i think you need to have it checked out roseanne don't you think minimal it depends if you're only a couple of weeks post-op it's probably all right but if you're anything more than a month post-op i would be like um you know just just let them know because you don't want to get infected that's the thing they probably won't do anything but just be addressing but um cat oh cat Jonathan's amazing, best there is. Look at that. That's kind of you to say that, Kat. I haven't seen you in years. I remember you from Droitwich, but I haven't seen you in years. But that's very, very kind. And I'll be, I'd love to see you again. And we will do you some kind of uh, message or um, whatever. You've probably changed your address or something or your phone number since we saw you last. But um, I'm trying to be a ring, Kat. Or you ring us, 0121 454 3680. And you can come to the clinic and I will talk to you about implants if you want. Or we can just talk on here, actually, if you want. Emma, brilliant. Thank you. I will. Uh, yeah, good. Um, come along. Good to see you. So, um, question. After eye surgery, should I always wear sun lotion and or sunglasses? So, um, right. So, first of all, the always thing. The thing about eye surgery, I think the, one of the big problems with eye surgery is when you do eye surgery, it's usually stuff like upper, you know, um, blepharoplasty, upper eyelid surgery. What happens is you get bruising. And because the skin is very thin in the lower eyelid, bruising tends to track and you basically end up getting a black eye. That's what a black eye is. It's bruising around your eye. Um, so that's, I think, why people wear sunglasses, because you've got two black eyes and you look like you've been in a fight. So that you don't have to wear sunglasses but i think you might feel a bit self-conscious certainly for the first week or so after eye surgery so that's why often people wear sunglasses sun lotion is to more again talking about the scar now the beauty of a blepharoplasty certainly with an upper blepharoplasty upper eyelid surgery the scar is hidden in the crease of the eyelid so obviously when your eyes are open the scar sort of retracts back and you can't see it and it's almost imperceptible <clears throat> if the scar is quite red then the same thing applies to earlier in terms of the scar um, keeping it out of the sun because you don't want to get a tan on it. But um, you don't have to worry too much about the scar and the sun uh, lotion. If it's a lower blepharoplasty, particularly if you've got a scar coming onto your cheek, sometimes they do a bit of a, a lift of your cheek, do a sort of mid-face lift when you do a lower blepharoplasty. You, and if you've got an exposed scar in your cheek, then you do need to uh, wear sun lotion or wear sunglasses to cover that scar because you don't want to get that, that scar becoming pigmented. But uh, certainly with an upper blepharoplasty, the scar is really well hidden, whereas um, other surgery with a sort of scar on your face, you would worry more about sun lotion. Having said that, you should wear sun lotion anyway, but uh, specifically with the scar, the blepharoplasty is not too, uh, <clears throat> not too bad um, in terms of that. Can you do dog wars on the day without going under? Dog wars! doesn't sound good does it dog wars but uh you have corrected it to dog ears yeah so yes you can emma um assuming your dog wars are quite small usually dog wars or dog ears are quite small um like that sort of big if they're sort of that big you know then maybe you wouldn't want to do it under local but if they're sort of that sort of size which usually they are if it's a breast or a tummy or something then that's usually on the day exactly as you say local anesthetic waterproof dressing dissolvable sutures not a big op it does make the scar a bit longer but yeah they're usually a local anesthetic on the day job uh, but again should be up to your surgeon don't um, don't do what i say inverted nipple correction which you maintain the milk ducts if possible i wanted to know the longevity of inverted nipple correction which you maintain the milk ducts so inverted nipple correction, inverted nipple, nipples become inverted because the milk ducts get shortened and, and contract down. And uh, the best way to treat it, well, there's different ways of treating it, starting from non-invasive. So the suction cup, you can put a suction cup, a nipplet device to suck, suck it up uh, and try and stretch those ducts. Um, but the risk with all of the ways of treating it is that it can scar down and in, in, invert again. So the risk is higher with the suction cup that it'll just scar pull down again uh, than it is with surgery. And so surgery is a more effective way of treating it. Um, but there's still a risk of the, the scars, the, the, the ducts scarring and pulling down. The best way to treat them and the 
least risk of it scarring down again is by cutting the ducts. But that means you won't be able to breastfeed in the future. Now, you might not be able to breastfeed anyway, particularly if you've got inverted nipples, you might not be able to breastfeed. But if you have inverted nipple correction by cutting the ducts, you won't be able to breastfeed in the future. But it's the most effective way of correcting it and the least likely for it to retract again. If you say, like, I don't fancy that, I want to breastfeed, then I would say try the nipplet device. In fact, you should try the nipplet device anyway, the suction cup, which you can get in boots and other chemists are available. And um, then you can, there is a technique where you don't cut the ducts and you separate the ducts in, in line and you take a bit of tissue from either side of the nipple on the areola, the brown bit of skin around the uh, nipple, and you put those bits of tissue underneath the nipple to help bolster it up. Now, the problem with that is that first of all, it gives a visible scar on the areola, the sort of a straight line across from the, the uh, nipple. Whereas when you do the inverted nipple correction by cutting the ducts, you can't see the scar at all. So it's just a little tiny little nick at the base of the nipple. So it's a bit more obvious scarring, but also because you're just trying to stretch those ducts, it's not as good as cutting the ducts. So it's a much higher risk of it inverting again or getting incomplete correction. So it's not a very good way of doing it, I'm afraid. But if you're adamant that you don't want the ducts cut, that would be an option if the suction cup doesn't work. But by far the best way of doing it is to cut the ducts. But I say you'd have to accept that you won't be able to breastfeed. And although, as I say, you may not be able to breastfeed anyway, um, but you definitely wouldn't be able to breastfeed if you had uh, had that technique. Emma, dog wars, we've done dog wars, about an inch or less on the side of TT. Yeah, absolutely fine, Emma. That would be absolutely fine to do um, to do it under local, I would have thought. Emma, and would prefer you doing it as I had surgery in Turkey. I want to see Dr. Khan as well for possible neck lift. Oh. There you go. Um, well, Dr. Khan can do it, Emma. Um, yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, we can do it for you if you want, Emma. But you can, but they probably wouldn't charge, would they? I don't know. They might not charge if you did it in Turkey is the only thing. But I guess you'd have to, you know, that's the problem with, you know, the bore. I guess you have to pay for Turkey flight again. But um, okay, well, we'd be very happy to see you. And as I say, Doctor, if you're having something like a neck lift, you could have that at the same time as the dog ear correction would be an option so that is that whoa that was a good one wasn't it um that went well i thought i am going to see what my daughter wants and i am going to check out and i'm going to say massive thank you for uh, all the comments and the questions tonight and the kind words as well i didn't expect that um and no bad reviews which is good <sighs> another day with no bad reviews phew so uh that's good so um i will see you here next week at the same time same place and if you've got any questions please email me and um oh emma and would cost for flights and 500 for theater well they're charging five well they charge you for the theater eh? oh, okay yeah well it's not worth it then emma have it done here i would um so yeah and yeah i'm gonna check out and go and uh see look after the children because i am in charge tonight because my wife's gone out so i better go and see what on earth is going on behind me see you next week and thank you all uh relaxing rest of the night not so sure about that emma if they go to bed nicely i'm okay i'm gonna watch a film movies for men i'm gonna get on that channel right i will um see you later bye Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.